I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast, sponsored by Mr. Kipling's Bakewell Tart, the perfect cake for lovers, apparently. On these shows, I look at the songs of Iron Maiden and how they impacted me growing up as a boy in 1980s Birmingham. I reflect on all this today as a grown-up and see if my opinions have changed. This week, I'm looking at the song The Clairvoyant, which is track 7 on the 7th Son of a 7th Son album. Last week, I did The Prophecy, and here's some of the feedback and news since I've done that show. I had several maths teachers complaining about Trevor's rule of probability. They were quite annoyed with this, and I said it's quite misleading for their pupils, especially with exam season coming up. So I'm sorry about this, if you're a teacher, or if you're someone who suffered during your revision uh, by Trevor's views on probability. I also had a message from Guillaume from France, and he said, that it was the best episode yet. I had a message from Andrew Whitnell, and he says it was a magnificent episode, and he said it had him in stitches while he was waiting for his fish and chips in a Woolworths car park. Now that comment might have sounded like it was from the 1980s, but he lives in Australia, and they still have Woolworths and fish and chips. So thank you very much for those comments. However, more importantly, in the news this week, Tim Burgers has announced another Twitter listening party for Iron Maiden in a couple of weeks. It's once again the album that I'm currently reviewing, so that's good timing. And Alejandra also spotted this link, as the last one was in February and he was doing Power Slave, when I was doing episodes on Power Slave. And this next listening party will be the 9th of July, which is the same week as my album review show for Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. And yeah, he's doing the same album, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. So what a treat that week will be. You might say that this is another example of how on trend I am and how I'm at the forefront of shaping contemporary culture. But I'm not sure I can take that credit, but thank you for thinking it. So this song has got similar themes to other songs. It's called The Clairvoyant. And if you looked in the dictionary, you'll know that a clairvoyant is someone who can see something that's out of sight. However, what this means is Mentally they can do this. It's not like when you've lost your keys and your mum knows where you've put them, even though she can't see them. She isn't a clairvoyant. Mystic Meg is a clairvoyant, who I mentioned last week, and I wish I had another anecdote about her. You often get these clairvoyants at fun fairs, reading your fortune with crystal balls or reading your palms. I was quite interested in this topic, as I've mentioned previously. Those mysteries beyond our understanding. I could mention the TV show Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World, but I'm not going to. We're talking about 1988, but when I was a bit older, as a teenager, I saw an advert in the free newspaper that there was a clairvoyant appearing at the Manor House, which was a pub in Stetchford. Sounded good, and there was a disco afterwards. As a teenager in the 90s, I could only go to a pub if an adult was present, so I asked my mum to come with me. I was quite excited, and I wondered if I'd impress any girls with my Rathchild dance moves at the disco. I even wore some insignia aftershave, When we arrived at the pub, we had to go upstairs to the function room where there was a stage. We sat down and then this sheepish looking man appeared and he went backstage. That was strange. After a couple of appetizers, an announcer said, Ladies and gentlemen, it's clairvoyant, which annoyed me because it was grammatically incorrect. Then some lights went on and there was that man dressed as a woman. Now I thought that the space between Claire and voyant was a misprint in the local paper. But now, I found out it was a drag act. This sheepish looking man was now full of confidence, picking on anyone looking uncomfortable. 
I was looking uncomfortable, and I don't want to talk about it. Even the disco was rubbish. There was this man that got angry at the DJ because the UB40 records kept skipping. The song The Clairvoyant isn't about a drag act or anything to do with Birmingham. However, it was the first song written for the album, despite it being track 7 on it. Steve Harris came up with the idea after learning that a psychic called Doris Stokes had died, and he thought of the idea that perhaps she didn't foresee her own death. And he took this idea and related it for the seventh song concept, and that's how it all began. You'll probably know that the final line is, couldn't foresee his own demise. And of course, this is about the seventh song in the song, not about Doris Stokes, because that would be her demise. And I feel that there's an element of repetition here in my podcast, because it's the third song in a row about somebody seeing something, what lies beyond. And that's because of this theme of the concept album, the seventh song. It's got this great intro, it starts with just the bass, and I wonder if this is the first time we've seen this since Innocent Exile. I'm sure we have, but nothing springs to mind. Then we get the guitar coming in, this sort of chugga-chugga bit, and then like a knee-gnaw. I'm not sure about this siren-style guitar, Uh, I quite like it, but I'm a bit 50-50 over it, because I think it's a bit cheesy. It's got a good tempo. The first line is, feel the sweat break on my brow. And this draws you in. And there's also a nice space around the vocal. It's, it's great, all the parts fit in nicely. I'll probably like a bit more delay on the vocal to give it more of a mysterious edge, but it doesn't matter. Feel the sweat break on my In this first verse, the lyrics are sort of saying he's not sure what's real and what is a vision. And that's that old theme, isn't it, from The Number of the Beast, about dreams and reality. But these are visions when he's awake, because he's a clairvoyant. In the second verse, he's getting more worried and scared that he can't control it. He says, the power's getting stronger every day. After the verses, there's these instrumental passages, which are quite nice. It's got like a rumbling bass, and there's those keyboard pads again. Now the chorus is strange, it just says there's a time to live and a time to die and it sort of stomps on a bit but it feels like a bridge leading to something more but no, there's no extra chorus that comes along so this must be the chorus and I'd say that overall in this song maybe the music's the hook more. When the chorus stops for the first time it slows down and goes into the solo and that starts off with this nice twin lead section that reminds me a bit of Thin Lizzo. Now Steve Harris wrote this song. I think the lyrics are good. They sort of do the job. And I like the third verse specifically. It's got a nice transition into it from the solo. And then there's a change of focus because originally it's about the sweat on my brow but it's more like a commentary it's from in a third person because of course it's like an obituary in a newspaper because he couldn't foresee his own demise which I mentioned earlier when I talked about Doris Stokes there's Steve Harris talking about it it's Steve Harris's diary it's Steve Harris's diary it's Steve Harris's diary it's Steve Harris's diary 
November 1988. Well, Clairvoyant, that's a good single. It's inspired by Doris Stokes, of course. It's like a tribute to the old girl. God bless her soul. I thought about putting her name in the lyrics, but then we went off on his seventh son business. It's a good job, because I can't think of much to rhyme with her name, except horrid jokes, which, d- which don't work, does it? Wow, three top ten singles off one album. Phew, amazing. Surely we'll be thinking about getting a number one soon. We're back in the UK for the tour. We're enjoying it. We've added still life to the set and some others, and that's gone down well. Although I heard a few groans for Dolly Boots on at the Birmingham show last night. I'll have to edit that out in a video next year. I'm about to go out shopping for the Secret Santa. I've got Nico this year. We've had a few years off from doing this, but nice to bring back traditions. I've heard Adrian's got me this year, but I'm not supposed to know about this, of course. It's Steve Harris's diary. It's Steve Harris's diary. It's Steve Harris's diary. It's Steve Harris's diary. The chorus ends with a line, As soon as you're born, you're dying. And this line is quite philosophical. It means that once you're born, All you're doing is approaching certain death. So, every time you finish one of my podcasts, you've got half an hour closer to death. And I'm glad I could be with you at this time. The second time I do the chorus, the song's winding down, and then you get that guitar at the end. And I think it's a bit cheesy when it goes up. It goes... I don't like that. And then Bruce follows this with a vocal at the end, where it says... I feel reborn again. And that brings attention to that cheesy bit even more. I don't like this. It's good though, because it's quick. It's just four and a half minutes long, and it just gets on with it. Two verse and choruses, split with some instrumental breaks and a solo. That's all you need. It was released as a single, but it was released in an interesting way. The seven-inch single contained the album version, the studio recording, but then the 12-inch version had a live clip This was taken from the Monsters Rock Festival at Donington in August 1988. On the B-side, it had The Prisoner from that show. And then on the 12-inch, it also had Heaven Can Wait. So this was quite collectible, which again, pushed it up the charts. The live version's quite nice. You can hear Bruce doing a bit more ad-libbing with the vocals, a few tricks between instrumental passages. And that bit at the end doesn't annoy me as much, because he splits up the line, I feel we're born again. And this is, and again, and again. So that's all right. It entered the chart at number 13. Number one that week was First Time by Robin Beck. And you may not remember that, because it's a bit of a one-hit wonder. But that was the song used on the Coca-Cola advert in the 80s. So it reminds me of that. Next week, it jumped up to number six. And that was just one place behind Yaz. And you may remember that The Evil That Men Do was beaten by Yaz as well. So I bet Steve Harris was annoyed by this. He thought that he'd finish with Wham and George Michaels, but now Yaz was the new rival in the charts. Maybe he'd have to stop releasing things the same time as Yaz. Sadly, this was as high as it got, because the following week, lots of Christmassy songs were released, so it just got pushed down the charts by Cliff Richards with Mistletoe and Wine. The artwork by Derek Riggs is alright. Again, quite surreal, but at least it's symmetrical this time, which will please Jay from Germany, who was a bit annoyed about the Batwing on the evil that men do sleeve. Although there is an egg-shaped eye at the top of it, which is at an angle, so that that isn't quite straight, is it? I've had a lot of people say that they love the artwork from the releases on this album, but I prefer the traditional Eddie, 
with a bodily walking down the street. A bit more realistic, isn't it? This was the first time that they'd released three singles from an album. But then they also released Infinite Dreams later, as I mentioned, from the, the live Made in England VHS. So that's actually half the album, four songs out of the eight. About a year ago, I listened to this album for the first time in ages, and this song stood out as being one of the best. I'd forgotten how it went, because even though it was a single, they don't mention the title in it, they don't say The Clairvoyant. So looking at the title, I couldn't pitch the song. This is the first time they did this since the Peace of Mind singles. Flight of Icarus and the Trooper, they don't mention the titles either. So as a result, I couldn't remember it, and when I heard it, it was great, like rediscovering an old friendship. And now that it's more familiar again, I feel it's not as good as several others on this album, and it may not make my top three in the album review show special, which I wouldn't have thought about a year ago. Here's another chapter from Adrian Smith. Hi, this is Adrian Smith. I'd like to thank you for all the comments about the children's book. I noticed on Facebook, I think it was Andy Brown who said, He'd noticed I was getting more disgruntled. Uh, I'm not sure that's true. I don't know if that's the tone of the novel or my own voice. Um, I can assure you I'm committed to this novel. Um, And uh, I saw some other comments about uh, it being an artistic parallel with my time in Iron Maiden at this point. Uh, Maybe it mirrored my disgruntlement with the band. Anyway, uh, time for the next chapter. I've decided I'm just going to call it Chapter 12. But that doesn't mean I'm disgruntled. Chapter 12 It was a bright Sunday morning, and Officer Riggs sat at the table and wrote down the heading, Eligible Spinsters, in his police jotter. After the events of the previous day, he was keen to find a mother for the head, to help in his upbringing, and also to bake cakes and cook sausages on demand. He wrote down several names. As he looked at this list, an annoying fly came through the window, buzzing around his ear. Officer Riggs swiped left and put the jotter down. He decided to get dressed up and go out for a cycle ride. He washed and put on some special cologne. He looked in the mirror. I feel reborn again, he said. Oi. As he went through the gate, he crashed into old Mrs Stratton, who was walking past with her bag on wheels. Her shopping flew out onto the pavement, and Officer Riggs rushed to help her pick it up. Pies, peas, more pies, beans. Their hands brushed against each other as they both reached for the same steak and kidney pudding. They stopped and looked into each other's eyes. Officer Riggs wondered if old Mrs Stratton could be the one. He had helped comfort her during the dark times last year and had felt a connection, but had never considered anything more. No, this could not happen. This would mean the head and young Dennis would be brothers and he didn't think Dennis would cope with this after what had happened. He stood up suddenly. Sorry, madam, he giggled nervously with a doff of his hat, and off he rode on his penny farthing. Yannick was climbing the beanstalk in his garden, and he suddenly remembered that he'd been asleep for a few hours after lunch, and then, with the delay of brushing his teeth, this had meant that it would soon be dinner time. Perhaps he should leave climbing the beanstalk until another day. No, he had come so far, He must be three-quarters of the way up by now. He looked down at the garden below. There he was, standing high in the sky, and there was no sign of the top. It seemed really impossible to climb, but he carried on, humming a little tune as he went. The air was getting thinner, and he felt a little light-headed, but the beanstalk seemed to be coming to an end, just ahead, at a large cloud with a flag on it, 
like a sail on the edge of the world. He carried on, but then stopped. Someone was waving at him from the top. It was Adrian. What are you doing up there? shouted Yannick. Never mind that. We have to go down. You can't come up here. Yannick was annoyed. Had Adrian sneaked up the beanstalk while he'd been asleep? This is my beanstalk, he said. You need to let me pass. No, said Adrian. We have to go quick, otherwise the beanstalk will disappear and we'll be falling down. Falling down? Falling down, said Adrian again, feeling grown up, as if he was a man on the edge. Right, I'm going to give Trevor a ring, see what he's been up to. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Trevor, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Another nice warm weekend. Um, I've rediscovered some biscuits. All right, what do you mean, rediscovered? Well, custard creams. I'd sort of forgot how good they were. I thought they were just an average biscuit, but I think they're underrated. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I think I've just took them for granted. I eat them now, like an adult, and maybe the fun's gone. But then I remembered how I used to eat them. Well, how, how else can you eat them? Well, you might remember you used to sort of scrape off the top sandwich bit with your bottom teeth. And then you've got the cream underneath, haven't you, which you can lick off. Yeah, quite enjoyed doing it. Okay, well, that's nice. I think the other people on the bus thought it was a bit weird, though. Well, they would, wouldn't they? It's a bit weird, a man on the bus licking a biscuit. Yeah, well, I didn't think, did I? I forgot I had a mask on. Okay, well, can we talk about the clairvoyant, please? Yeah, it's good. It rattles along nicely. I think it's got quite a deep theme and story. It's well delivered. I can feel the frustration of the clairvoyant. Can you? Yeah, it's a common thing throughout history, isn't it? That frustration. It's in classical literature. Oh, here we go. Yeah, that line where it says, Is this a vision or normality I see before my eyes? That's like a quote from Macbeth. Is it? Yeah, he says, Is this a dagger I see before me? How's that similar? Well, there's a few few words to say in the structure of the sentence, and he didn't know if it was really a dagger or a vision. He goes on to say, Art thou not fatal vision? A dagger of the mind. Okay, what's, what's this got to do with the clairvoyants? We all know there was those three witches in Macbeth who made prophecies, and they represent the three fates, who were also symbolised in Heart of Darkness. What? Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. That influenced the song The Edge of Darkness. <sighs> I think I preferred it when he just mentioned Dr Faustus. What are you wittering on about? Well, I like it when you can find a trail in Iron Maiden lyrics that takes in literature. I mention this quite a lot, but you seem to edit it out. No, I don't. Maybe I'll do a literary trail for Iron Maiden, like those walking tours in London. No, thank you. Can you just stick to poetry and mix-ups? Oh, I'm glad you mentioned mix-ups. Change my mix-up. Break my mix-up. Change my mix-up. Break my mix-up. Right, this week I've got Fergal from Ireland and he sent in a photo of a pastry about a month ago and now it seems he's cleaned up his act a bit because he's got a healthy yet satisfying mix-up he shared. Okay. Yeah, he sent a photo and details. What did he have? Hey, sir, you're interested? Well, I just want to get it moving to be honest. 
Well, he had two brands of special flakes, both supermarket brands. And alongside that was some triple berry oat granola. Okay. He had this with oat milk as well. I think that's quite a maverick choice to mix two similar cereals together. But then you see the different textures between them. Maybe one had more crunch or more give, as I call it. Maybe one box had been open longer and might have affected it. Right. And then the berries give it the healthy sweet edge and some colour. So aesthetically, I'm quite happy. Although he was using a white bowl, quite plain. Right. He didn't post a photo of his face enjoying it though, or a reaction video. So I can only speculate as to how he felt. I mean, I'm not that excited about it. Why? Well, I don't think there's enough scope for imaginative play. And visually, it's more like an inner city rockery than a Japanese Zen garden. It's quite middle of the road. So I'm going to give it a seven. Okay, uh, just for listeners, can, can I implore you not to send any more mix-ups, please? Um, because it's an Iron Maiden podcast. Trevor's got enough extracurricular stuff with poetry and other randomness. This rate my mix-up. Yeah, I think... I'd, yeah, no more, please. We don't need any more. I've got a backlog. No. Right, back to what you're supposed to be here for, uh, which is poetry, although I speculate as to whether that's useful. Um, have you got a poem about clairvoyance? Yeah, I have. Are you ready? Yes. I wake up in the morning and I'm feeling so buoyant. Ugh. What are you groaning at? Well, I think it's pretty obvious what's coming next, isn't it? What's coming next? Well, you said buoyant, so I imagine it's something about a clairvoyant. No. Okay, well, sorry, go on then. I wake up in the morning and I'm feeling so buoyant. I've just started new employment. She told me when she read my palm, I'd be working at the ice cream farm. Serving sundaes, snacks and shakes. Special saucy toppings and chocolate flakes. Two scoops Trevor, they call me, with a knowing wink. A kaleidoscope of wonder. Strawberry pink. Dungarees. The uniform of a successful man. Okay, so you've got a job. Do you wear anything else other than these pink dungarees? No. Well, obviously it isn't just my hairy chest and arms underneath. Is that be a breach of hygiene regulations? But you can choose what colour T-shirt you wear. I like orange, so it makes me look like a giant fruit salad chew. Okay, well, I'm not sure I liked it. Why? Some good alliteration in it? Well, I think some of it sounded a bit sinister, if I'm honest. A bit creepy, weird. No, nothing creepy about working in an ice cream farm. Well, how would you know? Is it real? Can't tell you. Well, I don't think you're going to get crowds of fans outside an ice cream farm looking for Trevor the Poet. Might do. Okay, well, anyway, um, we'll we'll have to worry about this for too much longer, as next week it'll be a last poem, won't it? What do you mean? Well, it's the last, last poem, last episode about a song, so no poems after that. The last episode? Yeah. What, how? You've got loads more albums to do? No. Uh, I've only noticed at the beginning, I keep, I say it every week, about growing up as a boy, 1980s Birmingham. Can't say that next time, can I? Can't say that about... The next album, that's the 90s. Of course you can. Just change the intro. No, this is, that's not the point of the podcast. You know this, we, we spoke about it. Yeah, in the strategic plan meeting, you said we had a five-year strategic plan. All right, don't shout. Well, 
Five years, yeah, that was 1983 to 1988. I was talking about peace of mind to Seventh Son. That was the five years. I didn't mean we'd be doing this in 2026. Oh, so last poem? Yes. Well, I haven't done my book, volume two. How can I sell that when there's no podcast? Well, you should have thought of that, shouldn't you? You can't end it. You can't. I can do what I like. Trevor? So, Only the Good Die Young is the last episode for a poem. Yeah, I think that's quite an apt title, don't you, for the final episode for a song at a good phase of Iron Maiden's career, End on a High? No, I don't, don't get it. You can just say, growing up in 1990s Birmingham, and then everyone will be happy. Well, I don't know. Maybe we should talk about this off-air. Well, we're not on-air, are we? This is just some silly pre-recording thing. You, you can probably edit this out anyway, like you normally do. All my good points, deleted. You'll probably make it seem like it was my idea to end it. So I'm the baddie. There isn't baddies in this podcast. Okay, well, anyway, we can discuss it. I mean, maybe we'll just have a break then and then come back for the 90s. But I haven't, I haven't thought about it. I thought we'd just end it and that's it. Yeah, that's The podcast's come to a natural end. It hasn't. I've got so much more to give. All right, well, anyway, let's calm down a bit. Uh, anyway, next week it's Only the Good Die Young. No, I don't want to talk about that. Well, we're going to have to. It's next week's episode. Yeah, all right. So yeah, if you're gonna, you'll be answer the phone, won't you? None of this silliness with your mum again. I don't want pterodactyl Mark appearing on the last ever episode. It's not the last ever episode. You've got eighties review special and the album review, and then you can have a break and come back. He you said you're coming back, aren't you? Okay, well maybe I will. All right, well I'll speak to you next week then. Okay. Are you still there? Right. Uh. Okay, you can follow me on social media. I'm at Wayne Maiden. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And uh, yeah, follow me there. I had a message from Stephanie from Columbia. And she says that the Clairvoyance is her favourite song on the album. Now, this doesn't mean I suspect her of being Hawklord. Because she goes into detail. And she says it's because it brings back good memories. And it's one of the first songs she listened to. And as a result, fell in love with the band. She got excited about the intro. And the, the bass and the guitar's harmony and finger picking. And she says the whole composition is amazing and it made her feel strong and powerful. Um, so that's that's good, isn't it? And once again, somebody else has probably done a better job of analysing the song than I have. But never mind. So we've had two songs in a row with the same theme, the clairvoyant and the prophecy. And it was always a struggle to remember what order they were in on the album if I wasn't looking at the sleeve. I found it strange that the clairvoyant was the penultimate song. The penultimate song is often reserved for perhaps songs that aren't as good in order to sort of give a contrast with the finale. But this is different here, and I like this. I mentioned that the song was released in November 1988. And if you've been paying attention, you'll know that I must have been at big boy school by now because I was 11 in August 1988. So while I heard the song at primary school when it was on the album in April, when it came out as a single, I was amongst other people. A lot of people didn't go to the same big boy school. Thomas Spencer, Michael Patterson, even Caroline Blissett. No, they didn't go to the next school. So it just wasn't like the old days anymore. And this period was interesting, trying to fit in with new people, or not fit in. There wasn't many people in the school with mullets who liked Iron Maiden. They were like Michael Jackson's and the Pet Shop Boy. But all this would change in a couple of years, as we became teenagers, and it became the 90s. And 
After Trevor's outburst earlier, maybe you'll hear about this more in the future. I didn't have any plans to talk about it, but maybe I will now. So yeah, another strong song, The Clairvoyance. Uh, quite a consistent album, as we're finding out, although you probably knew that already. Um, yeah, so we'll discuss that more in the album review show. And uh, next week we've got Only the Good Die Young to finish it off. So hopefully I'll see you next week for that, and uh, I'll leave you with some clairvoyance. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.